My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. Never was a nurse. No, no. Don't have the stomach for it. Not at all. Not my thing at all. One of my best friends in the world, Rudy Gonzalez, studying to be a nurse right at this moment, like right at this very moment. One of our good friends, Richie Carrillo, a.k.a. Reg, also studying to be a nurse right at this moment. Uh, Rudy's better half, currently a nurse practitioner up now in my mind I picture a TV show where all three of them work in the same place I'm in it too uh, except I'm just the patient who's always there hypochondriac and mostly finds reasons to come in every day so I can get some sleep (laughs) you know like Otis from the Andy Griffith show you know the Andy Griffith show right all of you watch it (laughs) I'm so old Sorry. Okay, sorry. Anyway, it's hilarious. But this imaginary show is, uh, that's as close as I'm ever getting to that. Okay. In this imaginary show, there's no actual fecal matter. Okay. No strange rashes. uh, No bones where they shouldn't be. No real blood. It's a show. And that's as close as I'm ever getting to that kind of a career. It's just... It's not my thing. Ironically, in a pinch, I'm your guy. Okay? I'm your guy. 1990 or 91, maybe. I don't remember. Long gone Aldo's Pizza, Fresno, California. Well, technically Clovis, but it's all Fresno to me. Kitchen manager, all right? Aldo's Pizza. And uh, cook, uh, one of the prep cooks in there, sliced his middle finger right off like the tip of it just right off boom I bound that sucker like a pro like a rodeo pro binding up a calf boom 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 done got him covered in a clean warm towel cleaned him up Uh, then like a medic in the field of battle bandaged that finger with tape and the sterile gauze pads from the kitchen first aid kit didn't even blink didn't even hesitate just jumped in there and handled it scooped up the tip of his finger and put it in a bowl full of ice sent him on his way cool as a cucumber uh, but when I <laughs> I went back in the kitchen to clean up after the mess I made and basically puked in my own mouth and had to go lay down for a while <sighs> later uh, after the cook came back and I had recovered he said the nurse told him uh, to tell whomever bandaged his finger up that they'd done a hell of a job and should consider going into nursing but as soon as he mentioned it I got I just I had that image in my head of the wide open, freshly wide open fingertip of this guy. I got lightheaded and sick all over again. Oh, no. Nah. I don't have the stomach for it, okay? I'm kind of grossed out right now. <laughs> my guest tonight, Reese Roper, nurse of all trades, is apparently cool with all that shit. You know, here. originally my vision for the show was just to tell anyone and everyone's story. And it seemed like a noble vision, and I still feel it's a viable one. And in the future, as I settle into what is now looking like my life after music, uh, 
I think we'll get to a lot of those stories. The thing is, I've always been fascinated by that. You know, I mentioned it all the time. Life after. You know, what comes after all the hype? (laughs) All the expectation, all the ambition. What comes after that? You know, provided there is an after for the 99% of us uh, who experience that. Anyway, like the webpage says... I I wonder what happened. What happened to me and how did I end up here? And I always am going to want to explore that. Life, real life. After one has finished pursuing whatever it is, music, acting, arts, whatever. Uh, Side note, hey, college athletic star with a face for radio and a voice for cardio. Didn't get drafted, didn't land the Olympics. uh, Call me. Anyway. Sure. I'm going to get into topics here and there, some for fun, some because I feel like I need to. Uh, but mostly I like to show the very regular day-to-day of folks. Uh, but typically, folks whom you may or may not consciously be aware are trudging through it just like you. I dig that. Yeah. For the most part, musicians who always, you know, they've always made less money than most people realize, who had to ask themselves, one day, what now? And years ago, I heard this very topic discussed by my guest tonight. Again, Reese Roper. Mostly known for his band Five Iron Frenzy, but also Brave Saint Saturn and apparently Roper. But now, a nurse. And maybe also a kind of manager of nurses. It's complicated. And so, honestly, I can't remember where I heard it or read it, but I, I remember clearly, vividly, Reese discussing the realization after, you know, so many years in, in Five Iron, I can't put any of this on a resume. So unbeknownst to him, the real seed for this show was born into my head right there. And here we are, almost 40 episodes later. Yes, Billy Power, you have legitimately and literally lapped me. Sorry. Okay, so Reese. Back to Reese. Reese is different, okay? Not only because he's a full-on oddball, like... You know, a legit weirdo, possibly made of rubber. Uh, but he's also different from a lot of my guests in that he actually went to school. So in a way, possibly cheating just a little bit. But that's okay. Seriously, as I think you'll hear uh, in this show, not all of his path was as safe and responsible as that might sound. So it's going to be interesting. I think you're going to enjoy it. So tonight, never was his. It's my good pleasure to invite you to the origin of the show in a way. Please, come and hang with me and Mr. Reese Roper, nurse slash all kinds of other stuff. Enjoy. But first. Ah, dear never wases. It has quite literally been a long time. Too long, of course, as always. This is the thing. When I started doing these, I was still tending bar and teaching boring-ass electronic medical record software. Okay. I had less than 10 legit TV gigs a year, and none of them were as rigorous as the one I now hold. Tentatively hold, I might add. Okay. Nothing lasts forever, and in TV, that is, it really does. Nothing lasts forever. You can be done in a blink of an eye. 
I could lose this gig tomorrow and I would be nearly as unqualified to face life as the day I started this podcast. <laughs> anyway, as if those changes weren't enough and settling into that life weren't enough, the one that I now lead where I'm on the road and working a very physical job, uh, I decided to pour some gas on the fire. <laughs> Stavesaker decided to raise from the dead and write a new record. Hey, who knew? And some folks, some of you listening to this very show, thought that was a good enough of an idea to give us money to make that possible. Um, and now, we're doing it. Now, while that prospect was exciting, and the idea of spending time with my Stagecaker family brought a lot of joy to me, there was one little issue. Uh, I woke up one night, had this gentle breeze of a thought blow over me, Oh, dear God, I forgot how to write Stavesacre songs. What have I done? Oh, no. <laughs> and so began quite the journey, okay? You guys, many of the people listening to this show right now, in a move I can only describe as both baffling and humbling, made it possible to create a new Stavesacre album after 10 years. 10 years. It's been a decade since our last full-length record. And it's been eight years since we broke up, you know. But here we are. Passing files back and forth. Having some jam sessions here and there. Doing a lot of stuff online and, and over the web. Just however we can communicate with each other and stay on the same page. To create a new album. And, you know, I'm pretty happy. Pretty excited. I just have one little challenge here, and that was remembering how to sing and how to write for Stavesaker. I've recorded a Neon Horse album and a White Lighter album. Did a song on Blue Stolly and a song on Circle of Dust all since the last Stavesaker recording. That's a lot. Okay, it's a lot. And trust me, it ain't the same. Um, when I post this on the, uh, the Stavesaker Facebook, uh, there'll be a little video. Uh, sort of showing you how ill-prepared I am for this. <laughs> uh, it'll be a video of my elaborate home studio. Uh, prepare to be unimpressed. Here's a spoiler. The bomb garden is still not finished, okay? That being said, all of that pales in comparison to the real challenge. What the hell is this album about? I mean... It was a lot easier when it was Stavesacre against the world, okay? Trying to hustle a career, you know, prove the doubters wrong, whatever. Maybe that wasn't such a good thing. Man, I got a little comfortable. I don't know. But, I mean, I can't go back there. It's not the same dynamic. And I'm not going to, you know, mumble into the microphone, woulda, shoulda, coulda, and then cry for the rest of the songs. That's not going to work either. So, you know, I had to find a way to write this, and I'm just not the guy who can put that many creative pots on the stove. <laughs> it's too hard to focus. It's too hard to, to think clearly. And it's, it's almost impossible to think originally. I was repeating some of the same themes and... You know, basically stepping on my own feet. So, you know, never was had to take a little back seat. But in a bizarre sort of turn of story arcs, I guess, uh, 
this show kind of played a part in all of that. Because life goes on, right? You know? This whole process has tested my motivation behind this show. <laughs> my belief that there is no sunset. Now, how to make that into something that doesn't make people wish I had ridden off into a sunset. Yeah, there you go. I think I might have figured something out. You know? We'll see what you think. Because I am now happy to say, after months and months of writing and nine days of hardcore singing over and over and over again, the same parts over and over. Paul Figueroa, I know you're sick of my voice. Uh, I'm done, basically. I'm pretty much done, y'all. Got a few group vocals to arrange, a harmony here and there, maybe some extra surprises to lay in and out, but vocals are basically done, you guys. What's that got to do with this show? Well, I think everything. I am not the artistic version of Bruce Lee. (laughs) I can take on one opponent at a time here, and uh, that's what I had to do, okay? But... This album loomed large, and I want it to be awesome, beautiful, terrible. Steve's Akery. (laughs) And I think you're going to dig it. I really do. So that's where I've been, in case you've been wondering. Never Was is back, and I thank you for your patience. I thank all of you who continue to drop a buck or two into that digital tip jar on the Patreon page. Despite how long it is between shows lately, believe me, it goes a long way. Uh, I think the album will be a nice turn, though, and I think tonight's show will as well. Um, I had a great time talking to Reese. Had a few laughs while I sorted through all the jibber-jabber. So without further ado, Stave's Acre album around the corner. But till then, let's talk about poop. Hi, Reese. Hello, Mark. How are you, dude? Fantastic. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear your voice. When is the last time that you and I talked? I think it's got to be multiple years, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? It wasn't the tour, was it? It might have been. Like, that's probably the last time I, I, yeah, I saw you in person. The poetry tour? Oh, my gosh. That's embarrassing. I'm sorry. Terrible. It's okay. Where are you? Where are you now? Well, so I I live in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. The Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. Yeah. I don't know where that is. I I live about thirty miles from West Virginia in Virginia, like in the foothills of the Appalachians. Okay. Are you anywhere near near Martinsville? Like maybe an hour and a half south of there. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, I go there once a year for NASCAR. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean that that is that is close for here to go for NASCAR. Yeah. We uh, uh that was this was my first year there uh at the Martinsville track and everything was fine, you know, it all worked nice and smooth until the race was over and the uh, very, very poor practice of uh, parking that they had going on there bit him in the tail, and some guy got mad. 
I'm sure that alcohol was not involved. And um, <laughs> he tried to jump a line. Like, you know, like, remember driving at Cornerstone? You know, you drive through yeah. the Cornerstone Festival and there's like a gazillion people. Um, yeah. It's way, way worse than that. I can't imagine. Oh, man. This guy tried to jump the line, man. It's actually not funny. He uh, he jumped the line, which why? Where are you going to go? You're not going to go anywhere else. It's, there's no getting out of there, dude. It's like two roads. And um, I don't know if he lost control of his vehicle or what, but he slammed into another car and ended up running into like eight people. Two people were, uh, were no. pretty seriously injured. Yeah. Yeah. They all got sent to hospitals and stuff like that. So that is crazy. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, but I, I, uh, yeah, an hour and a half away. I mean, shoot, I that's could, I could that's probably, close for us. I could probably swing a drive out to visit you on one of these, one of these years. Yeah, dude. If you're playing there, or like if you're there or Richmond, I will, I will come down and hang with you. Oh, we play in Rich. We we play we have uh there's a race in richmond <laughs> i said year. that i was like i <laughs> defaulted to band talk me too man i do it all the time i do it all the time <laughs> i can't shake it i still call it tour which i'm pretty sure it's not a tour you know <laughs> it's it's not <laughs> it's just work <laughs> well, yeah you know you know me man me and the nascar guys just out there yahooing it up <laughs> drinking some bush light it sounds amazing I, I, I still I still just can't wrap my head around it I was like I can't either man I, I don't know how that happened Mark works for NASCAR so weird yeah. I like to say that I work for NBC because I technically do but I'm definitely yeah. I spend more time at racetracks than most human beings will in their whole lives so there you That's go crazy I, I think that like I could walk out my door and throw a rock and and hit somebody that would just kill to have your job. I do. Like what? He's working for NASCAR. <laughs> so we're at, we're at one of the shows and um, you know, we always have to stand right in the worst place and people get super bummed because you know I'm following a cameraman and I hold a pole that has a transmitter at the end of it that pushes the the camera signal back to the truck, right? And so basically yeah. wherever those handheld cameras go, there's another dope standing behind the handheld cameraman. That's me with this big old <laughs> pole. And um, people don't really like us to be there because, you know, they've been waiting for three hours so they can see Junior. And <clears throat> excuse me, there I am standing in their way after they've been waiting there for three hours. We take the best spot. Oh, come on, NBC. You got to We've been out here for three hours. Come on now. So we're standing in front of the the line at the red carpet where all the drivers come in because, you know, you got to you got to capture that moment of the driver getting out of a golf cart that costs as much as somebody's house and then walking into a tent. I mean, you can't miss that, right? So we're standing there and uh walk past the drivers and you know, I try to talk to the fans cuz they're they're generally pretty nice people and the guys like, you know, man, I'll kill to have your job. And we had literally just spent two straight weeks standing in puddles of water, soaked to the oh bone gosh. every day. You know, there's the show must go on kind of deal, right? And and uh, and not just soaked to the bone, but in super hot 
humid rain. It's not like rain that I grew up with, or maybe you did. It's, it's like hot all the time. And like, you know, yeah. I go, yeah, man, uh, it's a great job, but it's a pretty tough one. And he literally, he just looked at me with this look on his face and said, really? Like it's, it's hard. And I was like, yeah, man, it's a lot of work, dude. We don't, we, we, we go pretty solid 15 hour days. He's like, so it's not all glory, huh? Not all glamour and glory. <laughs> and like, You're looking at me right now, man. I mean, do I look glamorous or glorious to you at all? Like, <laughs> I'm soaked to the bone with sweat. There's stuff in my eyes. All my fingers look pretty. There's some pretty gnarly grime going on in there. I mean, dude, it's physical work, man. It's pretty funny. So, well, speaking of work, what are, you're a nurse. Is that, are you a nurse practitioner? Are you a nurse? What do you, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> No, I wish I was a nurse practitioner. <laughs> I, I, uh, I am. So I, I've been in nursing crap, man. So it's, it's, it's almost 10 years now. Um, wow. yeah. So early on, I, I, I ended up, this is funny. You can watch this in, in a fiber and frenzy video for the, like YouTube it for all that is good. Uh, you see me running, like we're running into this building and I do like a roll and okay. I dislocated my shoulder. <laughs> you just see me like stand up. They left it in the video. It was like Damn it. the least goofy thing. Yeah. So like I stand up and I'm grabbing my shoulder. It was the second time I had dislocated that shoulder. What video uh, is this? But it's called All That Is Good. Okay. It's yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah. And, and, uh, so that shoulder is always kind of giving me problems, but then mm. being a nurse, usually you're the only dude. So all these ladies, like when you work in the hospital, they're always like, Hey, can you help me pull this person up? Can you help me do this? Right. Right. And I worked for like three and a half years in this ICU over at the university of Virginia. And it was like, they, cause you, you have one nurse for two every two people. So we didn't have a lot of aids. We didn't have a lot of nurse aids. So, so then every day they just be like, help me pull this guy up. Help me do this. And you have to turn people like every two hours. Oh, oh. So I trashed my shoulder oh, boy. and about the same time I was like, man, I got to get another job. My, uh, my wife, uh, got pregnant with our second kid and she was a flight attendant. Okay. So, she was commuting from where we live. She would drive two hours to Richmond and then fly two hours to Chicago to start work. So she's like, Hey, you got to get another job. Cause I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah. <All right>. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I was like, well, I, I'll try maybe, maybe I can get into management. <laughs> so I got a, a job at this nursing home near my house. It's, it's literally like five minutes away. I, I've skateboarded to work before just to just to see if I could do it. So I was the assistant director of nursing for about six months and it was the building was kind of a mess. So the director of nursing left and then I became the director of nursing. So now I've been doing it for like two years. It's crazy. Are you mad with power? Uh, I no, because I hate it. I, I totally <laughs> I do not want this job. That's good. I just like, yeah, I mean, the old director of nursing was really bad. When she quit, they got another one and she made it like a week. And then oh. I just went to my boss. I was like, please don't do that again. 
I don't care what you pay me. Just give me this job because they just kind of take advantage of all the, all the nurses and the CNAs that work for them. Wow. Not. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta do this just, but I hate it. I totally hate it. So are you still performing the duties of a nurse as well? Like you're managing this and then also being, oh my goodness. No, it's like being a junior high school principal. There's like, Maybe once a week. A way better junior, like a super fun junior high school principal, though. (laughs) That's the thing. Like, I want to be fun, but if I goof off too much, I'll just lose everybody. Like, they won't, they'll just be like, that guy's crazy. I don't know if I should work here anymore. Yeah. yeah. So if I do that, I lose them and then I have to fire people. It sucks. Oh, no. Yes. There are like, there's, I think right now, like 120 people that work underneath me. So on like any week, it just cycles. Like somebody will do oh, something man. awful and I have to, I have to pull them into my office. Well, you can't, so you can't just slow that. I got to get something. Give me something <laughs> random that you had to fire somebody for. Like, I can't believe <laughs> I'm firing somebody for this. I, I have to fire somebody. I've been putting it off for two days for sleeping. Uh, like just, just like going out to a couch and and then just sleeping. Um, let me think of a random thing. Yeah, like anything. Dude. Has anybody? <laughs> have you said they're like? You got to be kidding me. Yeah. So we we had a CNA class that we were like kind of farm. It was at another building that our company owns, and we were farming people out to it. And the so we would hire these people to be like. CNA students and they'd go over to this place and uh, the person that was teaching the class gave me a call. She's like, hey, I'm sending this girl back to you. You need to talk to her about, because she came to class drunk. And I was like, oh, "Oh, geez. Uh, Cool. So she comes and I talk to her and I'm like, hey, obviously she's been drinking. Like she smells like a brewery. And oh, man. I was just like, you know what? You're going to have, you know, like you're, you're in school, you're, you know, you got, and it's, it's kind of a joke of school. It's like two, two weeks and then you do some, you know, clinical stuff. But anyway, she I couldn't walk the, the line for two weeks. Yeah. I, but I don't want to fire her because I'm, I'm like, this is probably all this girl has. She's got to go to this class and get this. Cause this is like going to elevate her above drinking oh. and so so i i'm just like please don't drink anymore i don't want to hear about this anymore you're gonna go home sober up and then tomorrow go back to school and she was like oh thank you thank you so she she leaves and then 10 minutes later i get a call from the teacher again she goes did you fire that girl and i was like no i'm gonna give her another chance she goes she was drinking in class <laughs> So she had, she had a tall boy in her jacket. Oh, come on. <laughs> and she was like leaning over, not very discreetly, just taking oh, sips from this thing. Come on, man. And, and dude, there was not more than eight people in that class. <laughs> so, so it's not like she was in the back. No. So. I'm sorry. I so, know that's not really funny, but it's kind of funny. 
<laughs> it was funny. Oh, oh man. So, well, I hope yeah, she gets. So, I hope so she then I had to really. F- <laughs> oh man, I felt so bad. I had to fire her. So she she called her center back, and I was like, "Hey, I gotta fire you. I'm really sorry." And I I felt so bad. I gave her a ride home. Like there was snow oh, out. Oh, he, he had to walk between these two buildings, and it was like two miles. So I felt oh, terrible. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Reese. <laughs> so, see what? So that's see what rock and roll prepared you for. <laughs> oh my gosh! In, in no way prepared <laughs> you for that. <laughs> I know. So, like having to deal with in five iron, you have eight different egos, and that did prepare me because you're always okay. just like you're always doing damage control, like trying to get yeah. you know, like it's and look. Like my personality, I'm not, I'm not the lead singer type. Like I, I don't enjoy the fame part of it at all. I, I love that, you know, like, especially in Fire Iron, you know, like you get to talk to kids about God and you get to share hope, but, uh, the, like the, Hey man, you're the singer, dude. Why don't you just tell all those dudes to do whatever you want? The guys in the band would like get that in their head sometimes just be like, you're just doing that. Cause you're the singer. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I don't. So dealing with that, I think maybe prepared me for this, but sure. I don't know, <laughs> but I hated that too. <laughs> <laughs> I always knew that though. You, you never came across that way to me. I could always, it's very obvious, you know, it's not really your deal. Well, thanks. Young girls pine I don't have the time Babies get in line I've got a protector Gotta sleep but now it goes Gutting, gotta have a back club Ground making, gotta rock the screen With cosine graphing on my Calculator If you're up And if you want A piece Of me
I mean, shoot, man. You went on that poetry tour with me. I, I don't know that any prima donna could have really done that. What a mess. Oh, that was <laughs> not well planned. I don't think any of us knew what we were getting into. I had no idea. I promised John all this dough, and I'm like, uh, dude, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay him that much money once I got out there. I don't know. I don't know. You know I had no yeah. idea. Man. Well, everybody was a good sport, man. I mean, Leonor, Alan, Joe, everybody. It was it was good. It was definitely a nice uh, little two week, three week break there from yeah. all the rock and roll it was, drive, man. Well, it was like if we didn't have those horrendous drives, it would have been very relaxing and nice. Yeah, you know, yeah. like not having it, not having a sound check, not having to do shows. And, oh yeah. That's and all awesome. that stuff. I was that was one of the big appeals. Mike Lewis told me about that. Cause didn't you go on? Did you go on the one with yeah. Mike? Yeah. He's like, dude, you yes. gotta do this, man. There's no tour. It's not like you're on the road. You, you don't have to set up. There's no gear. There's no sweat. Bro. It's so awesome. <laughs> he was right. And that part. one, that was totally like the the model for it. Because that thing, like it was four of us, five of us in Mike's suburban or he had like a Chevy Tahoe. Wow. And it was cush. He we pulled a little trailer, you know, like we were doing like two hour drives. So after a while we'd just be like, let's just stay at the hotel and poop in the pool or whatever. You, know? <laughs> 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 you yeah. just goof around for like ten hours and then just go and read some poetry or you know, like yeah. none of us had memorized anything. <laughs> We were oh, reading. And yeah, then, we all, uh, I mean, some of you guys, like Leonor had stuff memorized. You had stuff memorized. Alan obviously did. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was cool. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. That book kept me going for a while there, man. Putting that thing together. Oof, things were tight. It, it was a good book. I read it. Things were tight. You know, that reminds me, I, I, I wanted to ask you about this because it, it was actually my original lead into to the nursing career. But of course, I'm terrible at journalism. So I remember reading something that you said um, that, you know, music doesn't really prepare you for a life outside of it, you know, and like things like, you know, poetry tours, writing a book, like those things seem like a natural transition, but it's not the easiest thing in the world to just plan on doing. Uh, one thing I like to talk about on the show is just the reality that everybody ends up facing, you know, even, yeah. even some of the more successful bands, you know, that comes a time when it's over. And unless you are independently wealthy, you got to find a way to reintroduce yourself to life for some people that's, you know, transitioning to another thing in the spotlight, but for most folks, you know, it's finding a job and going after it. I mean, what, what was that like, man? What was that like? Cause I remember you guys, I mean, there's so many guys in the band, you know, there's so many of you in the band, but still you guys at least had some success and things. I mean, I was wondering <laughs> what it was like after you, it was over. You know, you don't think that we had we had to split everything eight ways. Right, right, right. So it was like it was like paying two bands, and then <laughs> we we never stopped being like as punk rock as we possibly could, yeah. with the exception of Dennis, who was never punk rock. No, total business. He 
No, that, and that's why we gave him, he was in charge of the money because otherwise we would just like throw it out the window of the van to homeless people. Let's buy fireworks. You know? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Right. So, you know, like we, we always wanted our, our tickets to be under 10 bucks. We were, you know, like we always had people bring a blanket or soup or something, you know, to the shows. That's awesome. So even though you can be like, yeah, you guys sold, I think with all our, whatever, how many albums, nine albums, we sold almost a million. Wow. But yeah, but then it was like we made, we had a salary set and we made, it was $1,154 and 66 cents a month. So <laughs> yeah. Wow. We, no playing around, man. Your, <laughs> right. Right. When you're in your twenties, it's fine. You know, like right. I lived in Dennis's basement. I lived in a hallway, like a, there was a little alco alcove off of the hallway in Dennis's basement. And I had a futon and it was like 300 bucks a month. Uh, but you know, like when you're in twenties, you can do that. And then you, you start to get girlfriends and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I can, I, I don't see a future in this. Yeah. This is not going to so, work for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, like I, I, and I, and I truly think that's, that's what ended five iron was that we had all these scruples about charging tons of money for playing or, you know, um, <clears throat> or going to a major label, things like that. And then we just, we never made enough money at it. And then when dudes started getting married, their wives were like, you got to get a job. You should stop this band. So, so we did before, before we all got in fights, we, we broke up. Yeah. But you so, stayed, stayed lovey, you know, right. I mean, we did. That's good. Um, we're, all, yeah, we're all the best of friends. So there you um, are, you've gone through all that stuff. And then the day has finally arisen, you know, the show, the, the last show is over. Yeah. What do you do? Well, so for me, I was a knucklehead and I was like, I, I tried two bands after that. Like, uh, Sonny, the guitar player and I, we put together a band with Ethan Locke, who was in the Supertones at the time. And, uh, Josh and John from Ace Troubleshooter, mm -hmm. we tried to make like a quote unquote super group and it could have been awesome, except I like they, they, <laughs> I was like, dude, here's how we got to do it. We can't make these same mistakes we did in five iron. And we ended up just like, okay, maybe we should sign the tooth and nail. Oh. Maybe we should do this. And <laughs> I was just like, bro, I just did this for 10 years. We, I, and so I quit and then started another band. Um, that was, I thought was decent. Like, I think lyrically it was some of the best stuff I've ever done, but which one uh, is that? it didn't go anywhere. That was Roper. Okay. Which I hate the name of, but <laughs> Frank, Frank Tate was like, if you call it Roper, then it'll save us money on advertising. We can get you guys a tour bus. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was okay. like, okay, we'll call it Roper. We got a tour bus for two weeks and then, <laughs> and then we were back to a 15 person band. Yeah, of course. So my parents, they never quite bought onto the band thing at all. Like when I was in high school, my mom was just pissed that I was 
spending so much time like playing guitar or, you know, trying to put a band together with my friends. Um, yeah. And then, you know, like it finally worked and they both were just like, okay, don't, don't drop out of college. And then we dropped out of college. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so at the time I was going to the university of Colorado at Denver and I was pre-med. Um, I had transferred down from university of Northern Colorado, um, where I, it was me and one other dude who were pre-med and then it was just all nursing students. So it was, it was perfect. Like it was like me and a guy in these classrooms of like 200 women. It, <laughs> it was very nice. Um, <laughs> but then I was like, you know, we were, we were starting this band. And so I was like, man, I should, I should transfer down to university of Colorado It'll give me a, like a, a, it kind of helped you with your application process if you wanted to go there for medical school. Okay. And so I transferred so, so we could do the band. And then it was like me in these classrooms with 200 pre-med students. And they just, they were like the most cutthroat people I've ever been around. Like they, yeah, it was awful. They wouldn't study with you. They would like feed you bad information what? so you'd think the test was on the wrong day and why they they'd be like hey we got a copy of the test and it, you know you'd be like okay let me see it and then it'd be all wrong stuff like <laughs> just why just so would that they, they could, do that what was the point because it so like everything was graded on a bell curve oh, so if they could sh- if they could jack it and get <laughs> and get the new guy to be way at the bottom oh yeah then uh then they do better. So very, it was just uh, stuff like that. That seems kind of cruel, man. <laughs> it, it was, it was bad. And you know, like here I was like, I want to be a doctor so I can be a missionary. And you know, I was hanging out with these, these people that were just like, their parents were doctors. So they had to be doctors or their parents were just like, we're rich. So you're going to be rich. You're going to be oh, a doctor. Wow. And yeah, it's, and like, I don't know. I grew up, you know, my mom was a single mom and I was like a latchkey kid. We were always just so poor. And for me, like to be thrown into that and at the same time that all of a sudden five iron was doing well, my grades just tanked. Oh, wow. So we were playing like four shows a week, like driving, you know, to other cities in Colorado or Kansas and stuff. And, and so my grades just started to tank and, I kind of didn't care because I, I was like, (laughs) I, I don't want to go to medical school. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, we all pretty much like got signed a five minute walk and then we dropped out of school like four, four months later, went on tour. I don't know. I just like my parents, my parents did not, they, you know, like they, they saw the success of five iron. My mom works at a church. So kids from the church would come up and be like, can I have your autograph? (laughs) And yeah. So like she saw it as like a valid thing, but they still kept on being like, Hey, you got to go back to school. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we'd take semesters where we would, you know, like the three or four of us that were going to school, we'd go to school for a semester and take, you know, like five, five months off of being in five iron. And, uh, eventually I got it down to where I had one more, one more class uh and five arm broke up so i just went back and took it general genetics 
took it and got a C minus, and they wouldn't let me graduate with that. So I had to take it again. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the cutthroat world of nursing. (laughs) Yeah. So that makes sense. But uh, yeah, so that that was it. Like, so after the bands kind of fizzled out, I had this degree, which was basically a biology degree, pre-med. And, uh, and so I went to a job fair at the school during that last semester. And there was a genetics laboratory that was part of my, part of the university of Colorado. And they were like, Hey, do you know anything about genetics? And I was like, I do. Do you want a job? (laughs) So (laughs) I, I worked in this genetics laboratory for two years, like as a, it's called a cytogenetic technician. Holy crap, and dude. It was, <laughs> it was, so this is what, what I did. I, uh, I basically you're finding out if people have chromosomal abnormalities. Okay. So you're dropping samples, mostly blood onto microphone, onto microphones, onto microscope slides. Right, right. See, it's the band thing again. Yeah. I went back to the band thing. Can't get out of it. Um, can't get out. So, uh, so then, then you look at them on a microscope for eight hours and you count to 46. <laughs> you just are like, okay, that one's got 46. That one's got 46. That one's got 46. Eight hours of that. Oh, no so, way. <laughs> you're shitting me. No. So, oh, no, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I was so, all impressed. It, I thought you were like, going to talk about how to how to be a superhuman or something. No. No, it's like, but uh, I mean, it, it is, it's a valid thing. People need it. But I was just like, oh, this is, this is murderous. <laughs> I, you know, like I, I, I remember being in like in that lab and just being like, this sucks. And like MXPX came on the local radio station, like on the cool radio oh, station. Oh, damn it. And I was like, we, they played their first secular show with us. Uh-huh. I, they're doing that, and I'm, I'm doing this. I'm what counting a weird, to uh. so, so it was rough. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I was like, I got I to gotta, I gotta go back to school. So yeah. I, uh, I actually I worked for a dude at my church doing low-voltage, uh, like being a low-voltage electrician okay. for for a little bit and then went back to school for nursing. And now you have a job that's so much better than counting chromosomes. You love it. And, uh, it, this is true. If I, if I hold it up to that, it is better.
guy right like hey hey uh, uh, well, they played our their first secular show with us you know <laughs> like to the random right. dude that's sitting there counting chromosomes with you like dude i don't care you know i don't care about about your band history yeah you know do you want to be Definitely. that guy it's i, I don't know it, it, here's the thing too about like being in the christian market when we were yeah you know like when when we were touring so heavy you like the the shelf life of the Christian rock stars was like once you hit thirty you were an old man. Oh yeah, and yeah. I could see yeah. that. I was just like, dude, fuck, you know, yeah, like this is by the time we hit thirty, we're dead. Like nobody, you know, like I I remember like running into uh, John Schlitt from Petra backstage at some like it was one of those like things when you played at an amusement park and it was just like yeah. some circus yeah oh god and I, I was like man your band was so formative i wanted to say this to him but so many people you know were coming up to five iron at that point and being like you guys totally when i was in junior high you were my favorite band and now i'm in a band and i was doing that to him and oh man but he just he was the coolest guy and then that was like their their last hurrah and i i just was like this is us we're becoming this we're we're these old guys that nobody wants to listen to anymore dude uh stavesacre was in uh germany playing you know it was like christmas rock night or something like that i think uh dude you know that that is such a cool cool show i love it i love that thing this little dinky little town you know i i loved it and it was something like that. And we're over, I think it was Germany. Anyway, we're, we're, we're like, yeah, hey, uh, you know, um, we want you to 
we want you to come to dinner uh, with the other band that's going to be playing this festival. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who is it? Uh, they're called Blood Good. Blood Good? I listened to Blood Good. I remember Blood Good when the Crucified was a band, you know? Yeah. And uh, we went we went and and uh, had had dinner with these guys. And, dude, I mean, I don't want to say. Actually, I probably shouldn't say who the band was. I'll have to take that out. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to mute it. You better yeah. mute, um, mute me saying fuck. <laughs> let's just, I'll leave fuck in, but blood goods out. Oh, now. man. Um, okay. I don't know. You know, yeah, I, I don't think it matters. So we're at the thing and uh, we're at this. And dude, I mean, they were totally, it was like I was an 18 year old kid again um, backstage with a, with this huge rock band. I mean, they didn't really talk to us at all. They didn't, you know, there was no camaraderie whatsoever. It was a very strange, um, like it was like a throwback to back in the day. And this is at the end of, of it might've been the crucified. It might've been Stave's Acre. I don't know, but we were coming back for a reunion show overseas. And, and essentially my career was, was winding to an end, if you want to call it that a career, you know? And I'm thinking to myself like, dude, this is not real, bro. I don't know why, why you want to why you want to be like this, but I just know I'm not going to do this. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to, you know, teeter myself out here and try and sell my old, like, I just also don't think that our eras are really given to that. You know what I mean? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Like, I think the the older style of rock music, those, the fans of that music would still be listening to it, you know, whereas Stavesacre fans, uh, you know, Five Iron Frenzy fans. I think they kind of were still at a at a place where they're kind of moving along. Or maybe maybe all the music that we were into is so broad that we wouldn't be obsessed with just one thing. I don't know. I just feel like our generation of people would be a little less prone to doing something like that. And also probably because consciously we know we don't want to be that weird older guy. <laughs> backstage yeah. trying to trying to milk something out of a out of a turnip that's been dead for a long time you know yeah i didn't how like so when when you were coming up with the crucified how many shows did you play like with kind of local metal bands that were like so many a bunch so many see that kind of that kind of cured me of it because even the local bands they had kind of that mentality like it I was like, I do not want to be like this. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't get the appeal. I feel like it's a it's an intentional delusion. I don't know. The fact that you found a career. I mean, I I don't know. It doesn't sound like you're. I mean, do you? What do you think is going to happen, man? What do you think is going to happen with this? With managing uh, a nursing home? It sounds to me like you're. I mean, what happened to, uh, I'm going to be a, a missionary and a doctor. Is that still possibly in the works there? <laughs> I, I owe almost a hundred thousand in student loans oh from, gosh, from going to school twice. So I'm like, it's like indentured servitude. I, uh, wow. I have to, I have to have a job like this to pay for that. So, and you know what? It sounds like I'm complaining and I'm like, ah, I hate my job. I hate my job. Here's the thing there's things I hate about it. Like I, I think that it is counter to my personality to be in this like super administrative 
position that I'm in. Sure. But like if it wasn't me, it would, it would just be some chuckle fuck. Like yeah. it, it would, it would just be somebody that doesn't give a shit about the, the old people that live there and it, you know, and about the, the staff. And so for me, even though I hate, I hate what I'm subjected to and, and kind of the position I'm in, I can, I can do good with it. And I like sure, that. Man. Yeah. I mean, dude, I, we've, we've been to, my wife and I delivered uh, meals for this company called Visti. I don't know if you guys have that at all, but and we go to these uh, retirement homes, man. And it seems like they could use somebody who actually gives a shit, you know? Yeah. I mean, some, and you can tell immediately the places that have that person. It's the difference is it's night and day, you know, where it's just, it's just different. You can tell when there's, and those, you know, those are people, <laughs> those are people who are trying yeah. to live their lives, you know, well, and the rest of it. I mean, I think the, the thing that people don't get is that, you know, like everybody's like, oh, I'll never be in a nursing home. Yeah, you will. You're, you're going to like people live too long nowadays, you know, yeah, they, yeah. nobody, nobody drops dead at 55 of a heart attack anymore. You know, if, if you do, I mean, that's a little early, but 65, you're yeah. lucky, you know, you, all these people, they're living into their eighties. They don't have money saved up. So right. you, it gets paid for by Medicare and Medicaid. And that's what you get. You get put in a nursing home and you know, like, Medicaid pays 230 bucks a day. So man, what can you get with that? That's, you know, like that's, that's how it is. So yeah. you end up with a lot of places that where people don't care, they're not getting paid enough, that kind of stuff. But I think that, you know, me being in this position, I, I do get to affect that. And every once in a while I get to start an IV or something. <laughs> You have to keep that candle lit, you know, a little bit, of, yeah, a little bit of nursing love coming out. Yes, the uh, in, in the building, like for some reason, it, when I worked in in this ICU, I was probably the worst person at starting IVs. But in this building, what do you they're mean? awful. Like you're missing oh, in the vein, like just jab, jab, jab. I got it. Yeah, like that. <laughs> That or just like you put like six holes in somebody and oh they're God. like, can you go get somebody else? But <laughs> so, but in, in this, in this line of work, they don't start a lot of IVs. So I'm the guy, if they can't do it, then they're like, Hey, can you do it? I, oh, this lady man. looks really frail. And you know, like in an ICU, everybody's there. They don't have any blood pressure. They're dying when you're starting an IV. So you're like, totally stressed and and for some reason it in this building i can do it hmm. so that's my marketable skill yeah well hey man <laughs> i see you i mean gosh dude i couldn't even imagine that life i don't i don't know how people do it for long periods of time i don't really see how they do it it's a mystery to me i love football i love uh the nfl in particular it's a mystery to me how those guys do that, but not really. The people that are working at the ICU, you know, trauma or whatever, that to me just seems like a completely different human, like a different version of a human. Yeah. Do you feel, did you ever see the movie Joe versus a volcano? Yes. I love that movie. 
It's got to be one of my top 10 favorites. Dude, it's, literally, it's literally one of my favorite movies ever. And uh, the whole bit where he's trying to figure out what's wrong with him, you know, and uh, the doctor who tells him he's got the brain cloud, you know, uh, I knew it. I mean, I didn't know it, but I knew it. <laughs> when he talks to him, though, about that, about, you know, your experiences in the fire department, I always think about that whenever I hear something like that. Like if you, you know, you used to be in the ICU, what everything must pale in comparison after something like that. So, somewhat. Like I, I feel like I wanted a job like that like an adrenaline junkie type job. Mm-hmm. And I totally, I don't want to say I totally did. Cause every once in a while I'm like, yeah, maybe I should be a flight nurse, but you know, wow. I think I got it out of my system. Okay. Yeah. It was the, the ICU was cause so the university of Virginia is in Charlottesville, which is kind of like, it's not, it's just surrounded by farmland, okay. but they have a medical school. So they have to have, you know, it has to be a level one trauma hospital to have a medical school. So they have to have all these different ICUs to have a, to have it work as a level one trauma, but they don't have enough people. So they combined a bunch mm-hmm. into this one ICU that I worked in, which was a surgical trauma burn Whoa. ICU is what they called it. But then it also had like vascular and transplant. And so it was like, it was insane. I, I got the adrenaline thing out of the way. And I'll guess. I yeah. ended up, yeah, like I ended up going to my doctor about like two years into it. And I was like, hey, can you help me sleep? You know, can you give me something to sleep? And, you know, he knows I'm a nurse. So he just kind of sits me down and talks to me about stuff. And then he just tells me no. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so he he was like, well, tell me why you're not sleeping. And I'm like, well, I keep I keep dreaming I'm at work and I, and I have to wake up cause I'm not allowed to fall asleep at work or I hear an alarm going off or I dream that I'm coding somebody or something. And he goes, how often does this happen? I'm like, well, you know, like sometimes like 10 or 15 times a night. Oh my so he's gosh. like, you have P you have PTSD. <laughs> so yeah, man. He put me on, on this crazy drug to help me sleep. And which is awesome. Cause I don't, I, I don't, feel like I have the PTSD anymore, but I still take this drug. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I always get a good night's sleep. Wow. That was pretty crazy. You know, maybe should have stayed in Colorado. I mean, uh, (laughs) I don't want to suggest anything controversial here, but uh, I'm all natural. How are you feeling, Mr. Banks? Pretty much the same. I feel puffy, blotchy. I never seem to have very much energy. I keep getting these little sore throats. I, I really just don't feel very good. And how long have you felt this way? Well, pretty much since I left the fire department. On and off, but, but since then, about eight years. What did you do in the fire department? Well, uh, you know, I put out fires. Was it dangerous? Yeah, there was some pretty rough stuff, but <clears throat> I came out of it uh, okay. The, the hard part was not feeling good all the time. I started not feeling good all the time, so I had to quit. Yes. I've gotten the results of your tests. I've got cancer. No. Something wrong with my blood or my urine? No, they're fine. But there is something. Tell me. You have a brain cloud. 
Brain cloud? There's a black fog of tissue running right down the center of your brain. It's very rare. It'll spread at a regular rate. It's very destructive. And it's incurable. Yes. How long? Six months. You can pretty much count on it being about that. It's not painful. Your brain will simply fail, followed abruptly by your body. You can depend on at least four and a half or five months of perfect health. Wait, what are you talking about, Doctor? I don't feel good right now. Well, that's the ironic part, really. Mr. Banks, you're a hypochondriac. There's nothing wrong with you that has anything to do with your symptoms. Now, my guess is that your experiences in the fire department were extremely traumatic. You experienced the imminent possibility of death several times. Yeah. You survived. But the cumulative anxiety of those brushes with death left you habitually fearful about your physical person. I'm not sick except for this terminal disease. Which has no symptoms. That's right. It was only because of your insistence on having so many tests that we happened to discover the problem. What am I going to do? Well, if you have any savings, you might think about taking a trip. A vacation. I don't have any savings. A few hundred bucks, I spent everything I had on doctors. Yes. Well, perhaps you'll want a second opinion. <sighs> Brain cloud? I knew it. Well, I, I didn't know it, but I knew it. Yes. What am I going to do? You have some time left, Mr. Banks. You have some life left. My advice to you is live it well. Two kids and a wife and stuff, man. Right? Two kids or three? Yeah. Two kids. My, my wife is adamant that we're stopping now. Oh, yeah. So That's it. That's <laughs> she's it. like, no more. Which, it's 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 bittersweet. Yeah. Uh, I, can, I can imagine, you know. We are, uh, we are not there. We are not. Are, that is not going to happen, I don't think. Different well, path. Well, how often do people bug you about it? They're like, hey, when are you going to start having kids? 
They, they've, they, it's that's kind of eased back now. Uh, I mean, dude, we tried the whole deal, man. We tried it all. It's funny, you know. I I don't know how long you have. Like I. And, and honestly, I, this is probably the worst job I've ever done leading an interview because we have no order whatsoever. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> literally, oh, hey, what are you doing, Reese? I saw you at the coffee shop. Let's sit down and talk about random shit for an hour. <laughs> but, you know, I think it'll be cool. People will like it. But um, anyway, yeah, the the kids thing, I don't want to I don't want to push this because I don't know if you want to talk about it, you know, that's fine. But like. My faith has changed a lot, man, over the over mm-hmm. the years. The core of my belief is still the same. You know, I still believe in Jesus. I still believe that the gospel is the is is good news. I still want to help people and I still believe my responsibility is to help people. Like that's part of the great commission, you know? Like I believe in those things. But a lot of the things that I learned growing up, I, I've have changed um, for me just off of living. And like, I know you've said some things in the past, you know, uh, I, I remember in particular, uh, regarding, uh, your auntie who you went to her, to her wedding, you know? Yeah. It's funny, man, not having kids and trying so hard to have kids and the processes that are involved. And now I'm talking to you, a person who understands genetics. So at least to a certain degree, you know how many chromosomes you're supposed to count or whatever but (laughs) like you know the things that i found out in that process alone just completely rewrote a lot for me as far as what i understand about how life begins and all that type of stuff i still have these core beliefs though and you know i still feel like there's a way of peace and a way of not having peace you know what i'm saying like without getting too crazy uh political it's have your have your beliefs changed over the years at all oh absolutely so much i think yeah i mean like let me just say this real fast reese like i i have always known since the very beginning that i met you that you were a sweetheart okay and that you 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 love jesus and you actually genuinely cared about the people at your shows that has always been true. I've always seen that, you know, and I'm not saying you don't have personal faults. I'm sure there are things that come to your mind or to the minds of the dudes in your band or something like that, whatever. Everybody's got that. I'm just saying that you are, you've always come across as a very genuine and legitimate Christian person, you know? So with that backdrop, you're telling me that you've still changed somewhat. Um, man, yeah, I, I don't, this is the thing. Like, if if half of what is in the Bible or half of what we know about God is true, we're we're more than living in some gray area. Like we're idolaters. We have this image of God that we've constructed or that has been passed on to us by other people. You know, like even if even if we just saw Jesus, we see like if we walked with him, you know, like we see him for the apostles, you know, like they walked with him for four, four years. They still can't, can't grasp who he is. You know, like this is God. He, he, you know, like he's inside of the molecules that, that are in you right now. He, you know, like he knows everything because he made it. You know, these things like 
we have to admit that like we're never going to get it right. We have to just keep seeking God. Yeah. Um, so like for me, I, I, I enjoy that just learning new things about God. And I think, you know, this, this is funny cause I was listening to, you know, I'm a huge crucified fan. Uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry for this. Like, but you know, like I was listening to your first album, uh, uh, just like we were driving, driving back from a road trip, and I was like, "Dude, I want to listen to this." I've, get, you know, I paid the ten bucks for the i iTunes thing, the Apple Music, <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. so you can pull up, pull up everything. And right, right. So it's sweet because it's nostalgic. And by the way, still one of my top ten favorite albums. Oof, um, that's rough. Aim high, but I, no, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know you. You can never feel this because, like. I, I just, when I'm listening to it, I know that it hurts you to listen to it because oh. I, I can just hear the things that you're singing about. And I was like, yeah, I believe that when that album came out, I was like that. I was young in my faith yeah and I was just like telling everybody how to do it. You know, like right. here's how to be a Christian. And you know, like if you don't believe this, then you can go to hell. <laughs> you know, like right, right. That was me as a new Christian, and that was you. And and like I know you're not like that anymore. And so it's odd. It's like a trip down memory lane of right. of like my my theology. But I'm not like that anymore. I feel like I I think the best thing I've learned as a Christian is that however you you are going to interpret your life or scripture, it should be through the character of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like he, he expects you to take as much as you know about yourself and give that to as much as you know of him. Hmm. And I think if, if you are just doing that, you're going to keep changing, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I politically, I think that I am one of the most left wing Christians that I know, you know, Hmm. yeah, but that's just, that's just what I think. I think, I I don't know. I don't want to get, get into politics and be like, you know, Jesus was a communist, right? right, but which of course, you know, goes nowhere. (laughs) You, You know, it goes nowhere. I mean, dude, you're talking to, it's so funny that this is like, I, when this show comes out, it will probably come out after my next one. And yeah, my next one is a solo show that just tackles some things that have been on my mind and have been a bottleneck for me for a long time, you know, where I felt like, especially yes, with the election in mind, but also with everything that's happening around it and all the conversations that are happening around and the way people treat each other around this bullshit thing called politics, you know, and like I, I've been sitting here watching it and I've been basically frozen and not doing anything, not saying anything, not trying to to help in any way because I don't want to be that guy who thinks he's got all the answers, but I also don't want to be a coward, you know? And if I feel like somebody's saying something that's not true and I and I believe it's not true and it's harmful, I have to say something, you know? I can't not. Yeah. So like I'm in this weird spot where I was just in stasis. You know, I couldn't move. I couldn't, dude, I didn't put a show out for like two months, you know, because I just felt like I was chickening out or whatever. And 
And you felt like you should say something. Yeah. And I'm yes. sure it's going to be incomplete. I'm sure that there are going to be people who are, who are, cause I can't cu- tackle everything in an hour, you know? And I'm sure that people will misinterpret it, but, um, or, or we'll take it, you know, and for exactly what I say and still be pissed off about it. I mean, not everyone's going to agree with me somehow. Surprise, surprise. But like, I feel like what you just said nails the spirit of it, which is no matter what, no matter where you're going, if the person of Christ and who we claim to adhere to isn't who's communicated by your behavior, then who, who are you? Whose behavior are you communicating? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what is the end goal? And and I really feel like that applies to both of these bullshit sides that have been presented to us as the only two options that you get. You get the left and you get the right, and that's all you get. And you have to be one or the other. And, you know, all of that I reject forever and always will. As a crucified fan, you should know that to be true. Yeah. I've been saying it since the early days. I'm none of them things. But like, I don't, I still feel like somewhere in there is the right way to be. And I just, I don't know, man. I got to, I had to try to do, I had to put something down, you know, but I feel like that's a great, that's a great way of, of uh, summarizing where, I, where I was headed. It's just when people are around you, what, who do they say that they were hanging around? You know what I'm saying? Who do they think of when they spend time around me? And, and like far too often, I guarantee it's not Jesus. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not someone who's going to be there and love them, you know? And I feel like that's, that's got to change. I don't know if it's going to at, you know, damn near 50 years old, but you know, at some point I got to wake up anyway. (sighs) Sorry. (laughs) Whatever. That's true.
I don't want to keep you on here forever. And I, I feel like this has been a really very uh, C minus interview on my part, man. <laughs> Dude, so no. I mostly just want to give people a picture into life, man, after, after rock and roll. And that's always been what was, was my dream with the show in the first place. That's why it's called never was. It's like, I got to try to figure out how to live after my band ended. I didn't die. You didn't die. You know, there are some people, dude, who will literally not believe that you aren't in a studio recording the next five iron record. There are people who will not believe that. That's that's crazy talk. Yeah. So uh, with that in mind, are you in the studio recording the next five iron record? (laughs) (laughs) So That wasn't a no. No, we're we're writing for it. We have to. It's so. I mean, like we have all this stuff. Like everybody's got jobs and kids, and yeah. and then uh, Scott, who was the one of the original guitar players, is right. now you know he's back playing bass. He writes most of this stuff. He wrote most of the stuff on on our comeback album, and okay. he and I were not. We kind of weren't getting along. Not like, you know, like, not like in the old days, like he and I used to fight all the time. <laughs> like when we were doing vocal takes, I made, I made him crawl on the, this is like the most rock star thing I've ever done. I made him, when he went into the sound booth, uh-huh. I didn't want to see him cause it made me so upset. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the producer would make him crawl around if he was in the room talking. <laughs> trying to talk to him and then he had to go back out because <laughs> i didn't want to see him through the window oh man <laughs> and i knew he was in there because i'd see him like, start talking to the floor <laughs> like right. the producer would like look down start talking about, like is scott in there <laughs> Tell him <to> get out. <laughs> Dude, people don't know how how naked you feel standing in that booth Ah. You know, everyone's in there just listening to you hit whatever flat note, whatever pitch you know yep. you're going to hit. There's there's nothing to cover. And they're like, you know? isn't it great? You're a rock star. You get to sing on an album. You're like, what you're hearing, I sang for three days. Like, yeah. that's yeah. that same phrase. And I still fucked it up yep. every time. You know, like, yeah. oh. every time. So, so he and I, in the old days, we used to fight like that all the time. Yeah. Just because like we're the artist guys in the band and we just be like, no, it's gotta be like this. Can't you feel this? No, you're wrong. You know? And, and he went through this period (laughs) where he thought it was really funny just to, just to like say, just to be like, dude, you're stupid. Contrary. Yeah. Like he, he, like at funny at first it was like sarcastic and then it was funny because he was just a dick and he knew it. So he'd just be like, no, no, you, you, we can't do that because you're stupid. You know, just saying things like yeah. that. So like when you're, when you're in the recording booth, you're like, get that guy out of there. Get him out of there. Yeah. I don't want to see his face. No. I don't want to see yeah. his shadowy figure looming in the background. So now, you know, like now we're grownups. We, we still butt heads because we're these already you know, artsy guys and we, we have different ideas of how it's going to go. Sure. But it's not like we're fighting. It's, it's like, well, that didn't work. Right. And then we don't talk to each other for a couple of weeks. And then we're like, well, do you want to try this? Okay. 
Yeah. You know, and it's not like we don't talk to each other because we're mad. It's just because it's frustrating and, and we live, you know, I live like 2,000 miles from him. Right. So, man. Yeah. So you are, you're, you're, well, at least sounds like you're, at least you're messing around with stuff. I know Leonor has the yeah. best feeling going on with Andy. Uh, it sounds like everybody's still kind of, you know, active. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, we we uh, we set a deadline of like uh, January thirty first that everybody has to have their demos in for no an album. Do you demo yeah, before so that, you go in the studio? You personally? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. It is so when you're talking about how when the guitar players were playing, you got to play video games. Yeah. I was still working on songs. We never have had a five hour album. <laughs> never, even with demoing, that I've not been just like up until the very last minute, still messing with stuff. Grace, I've never, I have never stepped into the vocal booth with all of my lyrics written. Never one time ever. Wow. <laughs> dude. Never once. Your lyrics are so good. Nah, dude. <laughs> never once. And you know, uh, all the neon Mark. horse stuff, me and Jason Martin would, would lab out in the garage, like on, you know, we go up into his room you listen to, you know, play the riff, mess around with some stuff. And I would literally go out into the garage and write the lyrics right there. <laughs> of course they were absurd, but the stage acre stuff was not because I just, I just, it's probably the same as you, dude. I can't finish them until I know what they're going on. You know, it's, it's got to fit the music, right? Yeah. That's how I feel. Exactly. I mean, yes. No, like early on being like, Hey, let's write a song about this. I wrote some lyrics and then it just sucks shit. Yep. So shoehorning stuff in there. It's not the right turns. They're like, how many words are you going to say in that phrase? (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. But I got to get the gospel message across. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Can you gospel self edit yourself? (laughs) Yeah. I'm not, (laughs) my self editing skills are rough. Dude. Blue. I think it's Jeff Blue's dream that one day we'll just have a chorus where all I do is say one word, you know, like just once <laughs> you point out stuff like Radiohead, like where, like, you know, dude, I mean, obviously Tom York is going to write five words in a sentence that are more profound than anything I've, I've, you know, any chapter of lyrics I write. I'm not Tom York though. So I just can't, yeah. I can't get there, you know? Yes. I'm with you. Verbose. They're always guy. just like, they're just like, cut that down, cut that down. Like, that's what it's about. That's the whole meaning of the song. Oh, yeah, dude. Scott, and Scott's the worst. He's just like, he doesn't understand why there has to be singing sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's He's just like, these are not, our own. I, he is not the only one. I can tell you that. It's like, I guess people like this. So you can put some words on this part. We, we did that the self-titled record. Hate to go back to it, but I'm going to briefly. We did that self-titled record, and David Bianco, the producer guy that we whatever I don't can't get into it, and he straight up like threw a fit that I needed to just take all these words out because the part that he was trying to write, so quote, I get you on the radio, um, would work. I had to cut out the meaning of the damn song, like it didn't make any sense to me after the change that he wanted, you know, it's like, dude, what am I doing? In here? And it didn't go on the radio. No, never once. That's what sucks. That's never, it's once. not going to get on the radio. That that's where I'm at now. Like, I'm just like, we just, let's just make songs that we like and are good and screw it. You know, like if somebody puts us on the radio as a joke, then fine. Right. 
but it's not going to happen. Like maybe some at some uh, point there'll just be this weird rebirth of '90s Christian uh, rock bands. <laughs> yeah. just sweep the world, you know. Whoa, man! It'll, it'll be like K-pop. Yeah, just out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> or not. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, okay. Okay. I'm, I've kept you for a long time. I'm looking at the, I just looked at the clock and this is. It's fine. You, you're probably going to cut half of this out. Can you make well, my voice deeper? So I don't, I don't sound like a, like an effeminate Muppet. <laughs> I'm gonna do, <laughs> most, my number one priority will be taking me out as much as possible. Ah, yes. And there you have it, folks. Reese Roper. Everyone's favorite effeminate mother. Hope you enjoyed that, and thanks for listening. Uh, let's see. What did we listen to today? Well, of course, Five Iron Frenzy. Uh, you Can't Handle This from Five Iron Frenzy 2, Electric Boogaloo. Every New Day, uh, the live version from The End is Here. Hopefully, everyone's all right with that. <laughs> I just like hearing the people sing along, man. And Into Your Veins off their album, Engine of a Million Pilots. Uh, any and all film clips you heard were from arguably the greatest, least successful Steven Spielberg film ever, Joe vs. the Volcano. If you haven't watched it lately, or ever, you should definitely watch that. It's so bizarre and beautiful and awesome that words can't describe. <laughs> uh, let's see, any and all other music was from my band, White Lighter, off of our self-titled debut on Northern Records. Um, this show was produced by Billy Power and Urban Achiever Studios. You can find this and any previous episode at ineverwas.com. Uh, just go to the podcast link. Uh, I will post a link to this show on the Never Was Facebook page, so if you'd like to uh, discuss what you heard here today, by all means, feel free. And uh, please, be nice, even to those who may not be nice to you. Also, uh, on the show page at uh, ineverwas.com, uh, there's the Patreon link. To everyone who has supported the show, dropping a buck or two in, I appreciate that very much. Uh, helps and goes a long way. Uh, but please, again, don't go crazy, okay? Uh, I just want to thank you for sticking by me, waiting while I sort of sort things out. Uh, I don't know. I think this might just be life now. <laughs> uh, I do what I can. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you guys. Uh Hope to be putting out another show very soon. And of course, new Staves Acre right around the bend. Right around the bend. Until then, be good. Rainbow out.
that? A teddy bear? No. It is my soul. Uh, I hope you don't lose it. So do I. I'm Toby Chief. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm Joe Banks. This is Patricia Granamore. You speak English. I have learned. You came to stop the anger of the Wu? Yeah. 